It's refreshment time, folks. After returns and videotapes. Are either one of these any good? I don't watch movies. Do you like scary movies, Sydney? You have a TV? No. I just like to read the TV guide. Read the TV guide. Don't need a TV. Books, records, films, these things matter. Call me shallow. It's the fucking truth. Over 1,600 titles, each for rent at just $2 the first night, and only a... Finish it. I don't watch TV. Yeah, but you are aware that there's an invention called television, and on this invention they show shows, right? Tonight on Six Ed World. Okay, I want channels 18, 24, 63, 187, and weather channel. Welcome to the Frog Brothers Podcast with your hosts, Justin and Alec. Hello, and welcome to episode number seven of the Frog Brothers Podcast. I'm your co-host, Justin, with my esteemed colleague, Mr. Alec. Cameron West. What's going on? How you doing? What are you up to? Oh, you know, chilling, killing, hanging out, playing Nintendo. Yeah, still hanging Pretty out. Much. Playing That's Nintendo. what I thought. So, uh, I was toy hunting this week for uh, some. Some of these Ghostbusters toys while I was out. Yeah, what'd Didn't you find? Didn't come across any of them still. But uh, it's still early for the Plasma Series one, so. Yeah, I was lazy, and I just used the Target app to look to see if anything local had it, and I didn't see anything, so I didn't go out of my way to go anywhere. Well, that's good. I was looking for some of the NECA stuff that Target had and ended up picking up a plush Gizmo doll and a... Uh, replica jason mask so yeah my shopping this weekend included digital purchases of a couple of adam west animated batman movies that also feature burt ward and julie Nemar reprising their roles from the campy version and of course the new movie of the warner brothers hanna barbera cinematic universe scooby-doo like a g scoob Okay, Shaggy. <laughs> like, this movie is kind of good, but uh, we'll talk about it later. Like, light up another blunt scoob. Let's get toasted. <laughs> so, uh, next week we're going to have uh, a sort of untraditional episode. We're going to be skipping episode by episode. We're going to have a special guest, uh, Nathan Bartocci, on. We're going to be talking about Mortal Kombat, all things Mortal Kombat, the movies, the video games, some of the series, maybe some of the live shows, maybe more, maybe less. Yeah, so I went to that live show, but we'll talk about that then and there. But I will say, in order to wrap your mind around the excellence that is the Mortal Kombat game, movie, entertainment, comic book, toy universe... I highly recommend getting yourself a copy of the first Mortal Kombat soundtrack. It's mostly like wild EDM stuff, so get on it. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I actually had that on a CD as a kid. I remember I got it because I was obsessed with Mortal Kombat at the time. And I would listen to it all the time, not because I was like super into any of that music, but because it was on the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. And I think that was like the first soundtrack that I was ever into. Oh, nice. 
Uh, you know, so you think about it, like I'm sure it was for Ghostbusters or Ninja Turtles or something like that for you, you know, that you were super into. But like for me, that was the first one that I owned that I was like, I would listen to it. Yeah, so I had a few that I was at, you know, obviously Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, the first Ninja Turtles I all had on cassette tape. Another random one that's terrible is the uh, Street Fighter movie soundtrack. I still have a cassette tape of that. Oh, I actually remember that. Yeah, you had that. For it sure. is gloriously bad. I mean, it's probably been banished from like streaming sites for a reason, but I might have to break that out and uh, put up some clips of my favorite songs. Yeah, that uh, that Tony Hawk reboot uh, they're doing right now with uh, the first two games. <clears throat> I guess most of the soundtrack is going to be the same, but they've taken a couple things off of it. They, you know, probably had trouble getting the rights to and stuff, but yeah, they couldn't license the uh, the songs for a couple of them, so they haven't really said what that was. Which I wish they would just be straightforward they, about there's it. There's five of them, and I just don't remember them. Okay, yeah, um, off the top I, of my head, because I didn't. I would probably recognize them if I heard them just from playing the game, but I don't. Um, yeah, you know, I don't remember them. Yeah, I didn't. Certainly get that. wasn't police truck because that's in the fucking trailer for it. Oh yeah, I love that song, the Dead Kennedys. Exactly. Tonight's the night that we're going. We're going downtown. Gonna beat up drunks. Your turn to drive. I'll bring the beer. It's a late, late shape. No, late, late show. No one to fear. Let's ride, ride how we ride. Let's ride, loo ride. I have like a, a an unreleased like hip hop album of mostly just weird obscure samples and police truck is one of the samples on the like the opening track for it along with uh you know like video clips from the Heaven's Gate Cult Mario Paint and uh Surf Curse Orange Juice Jones some random shit fun time nice. so That's quite an eclectic mix there Hey Yoshi why don't you shut the fuck up I'm trying to record a podcast here you want a special guest? You want to fucking you want to come in here in the microphone? You got something to say? You got to contribute? Then shut the hell up. See, now you're just inviting him to talk. He's a loud bastard. I guess we should uh, move on to episode by episode. We got a kind of packed episode today, so. We now return to the real Ghostbusters. Diane, 11:30 a.m., February 24th. Episode 7 of the Extreme Ghostbusters is titled The Infernal Machine. September 9th, 1997. It was a good year, 1997. Yeah, you got um, Austin Powers. I think Armageddon came out that year. Uh, if Armageddon came out that year, more importantly... Maybe that, that was 98 that, even, I don't know. Well, let's not make updates and shit then. I don't want to sound like a bunch of uncultured swine. Well, no, I, I'm sure it's one of those two years. You can fight me on that. It wasn't 96 or 99. Well, fucking look it up, dingbat. I mean, I got all these computers in front of me, but my hands are busy. If you know what I'm saying. Busy writing notes. Double-clicking your mouse. Pretty much. Save as, Playing buddy. The, the devil's skin flute. I don't know what that is. 
It's, uh, I mean the penis. The penis. The human, the male penis. Happiness? Human, human male penis. You suffer, from <laughs> hap- you suffer from happiness? Yes. It's a happy penis. All right, so this episode opens up a little different than some others. With uh, Eduardo and Kylie talking over a little clip of the episode. And then it jumps into the actual pre-show clip, you know, kind of showing that there's this old fogey with uh, some long Lord of the Rings looking fucking hair. And, uh, or double yeah, He's basically Leonardo da Vinci or like meant to look like that type of character. He's this old weird inventor. He's yeah, but he's got a real nice like some weird fucking machine. bed. Anyway, so you see them there and this ghost come out and scares them and all this good stuff and fun times. Anyway, so then we go to the, the opening credits, jump right into the episode, and you see Eduardo and Kylie hanging out. Uh, and she's got some tarot cards up on the table, and Eduardo's asking a bunch of questions about it. And She's trying to the, teach him some culture about him, and he's just kind of like, yeah, I don't really give a shit. And she's like, yeah, well, I don't believe in this shit, but it's also kind of like, there's some science to some of it and trying to explain it to him. But he's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so that's pretty fun. So then Egon comes in and he like bursts in. He's like, what's well, all the racket? You know, like total grumpy old man, like get off my lawn scene. And yeah. like they have a bunch of, you know, it sounds like air compressor guns or drill guns in the background and a bunch of mechanical sounds. And then you go in there to see Roland's built something and everyone's like, oh, hey man, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's a trash compactor. And it's this silly looking little robot. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, no one asked yeah. for it basically. And everyone's kind of like, why'd you make a trash compactor? And then, you know, he kind of give him a hard time for it. Cause it's essentially kind of lame. Yeah. He's like trying to be artistic and make like weird art out of like metal and sculptures and like machinery and stuff. And, because he watched some documentary or something about some guy who did that, and so they're giving him shit for it. Yep. And so then you uh, cut to this bedroom scene of this kid sitting in his room, and his little robot action figure like wakes up and starts talking to him, and the kid tells him who he is, and then uh, the little robot tries to laser blast him in the face, and he's like, oh, no, you're just a toy version of that guy. And right. basically then he reveals that, you know, he's a demon and all this cool stuff to this kid. And next thing you know, extreme Ghostbusters show up, walk in the living room, see the kid with his parents on the couch. And uh, then Eduardo and Garrett go into the bedroom. And this is where the amazing pop culture references start. Because they say, oh, it's like child's play. And so... right. Garrett's like, hey, here, Chucky, 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 here, Chucky. Yep, the perfect late 90s when, like, Chucky was part of the fucking mainstream pop culture. Yeah, part of the zeitgeist, and, you know, this is around the time of Bride of Chucky and all, like, the terrible, the terribleness of the Child's Play movies returned. Exactly, Bride of Chucky, 98. Yep, right around that time, (laughs) right? So, you get all that going on, and then... You know, Garrett throws something out of the room and like, oh, says, oh, he's got me. And then, of course, Eduardo blasts it. And then they make a Mr. Potato Head joke. So, okay, another pop culture joke, right? Uh, right. Mr. Potato Head, right? They're like, zing, zing, two in a row. 
Bing, bang, boom. And then this little robot busts the window and jumps out and then goes, like, flying down the street. Then they hightail it to go track it down, which is pretty entertaining. And then they find out that this thing can jump from device to device or any mechanical or robotic machine, so it's possessed a lawnmower, which I don't know who the hell animated that because that did not look like any electric lawnmowers I've ever seen. It looked like one of those old manual push mowers with a motor attached, which obviously is frightening if you think about it. You're like, oh, that could maul somebody. Yeah, it definitely reminds you of uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch vibes with the uh, electricity gremlin that invades electronics and shit. Yes, and the other vibe that I got, just because this episode was so campy at sometimes with the robot and at the beginning, right, I definitely had uh, the smash comedy hit from Arnold Schwarzenegger himself, Jingle All The Way, vibes on it, just with a little robot. Put the like, cookie down! Yeah. Put the cookies down. You know, you don't want Those to go hard your cookies. Those are my cookies. Put the cookies down. <laughs> exactly. So, besides those vibes there, you know, they start moving along. And then it jumps to this, uh, I don't know if it's a recycling truck or just a trash truck, but, you know, picks... Garrett up on the pitchfork, or not the pitchfork, but the loading bars on the front of it, and starts bl- flying down the street. Obviously, Garrett survives that because, you know, you can't really kill one of your main characters on a children's cartoon. Yeah. So, uh, they kind of go through that whole scene there. Then it jumps to a saw blade, an electric saw, and, like, you see the blade fly out and, like, land right next to Garrett's head. So, they're several near-death encounters in this episode there. And then it possesses this crane when they're up in the building, like in this construction area. Like, Kylie almost dies. Again. You know, when I see her (laughs) dangling from the side of that building, it reminds me of Raphael and Ninja Turtles 2 describing Shredder uh, falling off the roof. Oh, that's funny. It reminds me of the... I think it's the second Boogeyman episode of real Ghostbusters with them on the Twin Towers at the beginning and, and Egon oh, yeah. uh, has, like, vertigo, you know? Yep, Egon gets his fear of heights back and unleashes the boogeyman because he's so afraid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yep. And so then, you know, they think they've got it. They think they've got it scared off, but, you know, they show us, the viewer, that it's jumped into the PKE meter. And then, you know, that's on... It's on Roland's hip. Then you see him have a strange dream at night, and like he looks uncomfortable. And the next day he wakes up and he's like n- not acting like himself. So then you see him kind of go through like this real manicky mode of putting everything back together, starts building a new robot, you know. And he's like blowing the team off. He's like, "No, I got to get this build done." And they all like make excuses for like what he's doing. And Kylie's like, "No, we got to encourage him and support him, you know, because we we're so mean about the other one." And he, like, fucking takes the TV and shit. Yep. Like, so, fuck this guy. He's taking the TV. While all that's going on, Eddie and uh, Egon go and retrace the steps from the last night to see what's happening. Because Egon's, like, really skeptical that they just destroyed this thing. They're like, he's like, nah, nah that just, that's not how this works, children. <laughs> so they go back by and you see a quick little montage of them retracing the steps while Roland gets this whole giant robot put together. And it definitely had some uh, 
some vibes of uh, some later Ninja Turtle episodes that came in the early 2000s, like where they had some of those giant robot characters, you know, like just mixed up hodgepodge of electronic components like mixed together to make some random robot kind of had that vibe there it reminded me of that even though this was the predecessor just the visuals of it and some of the animation kind of reminded me of that that makes sense oh the other cool thing on on this episode is they like to do a lot of subtle throwbacks to the movies and you see the main branch of the new york public library Mm -hmm. and then you see Eduardo and Egon inside the library doing their research and uh, Eduardo makes a joke to Egon about like reading something and Egon's space like no this is just Latin and like reads it to him yeah at some point Eduardo again says we're scientists man oh that's when they steal the taxi cab yeah <laughs> that Egon had previously felt like the floor of Pretty much. And so they get this infernal machine going and they, they go to chase after it. And then um, for whatever reason, they have a close up of Egon trying to start the Ecto-1. And the key has the Ghostbusters logo on it. So like in universe, like they have their own stuff that's like that heavily branded at this point in time, which cracked me up because it is definitely a space ball. It's like Ghostbusters, the car engine key. Right. And, uh, nothing happens and then they get out and look and you know you start realizing that Roland's basically used everything functional around and it just gets worse you find out he's used the um, cartridges for the proton packs in it you found out he used the ghost trap and a bunch of other things so they're trying to figure out a way to stop this and eventually you see Roland like run full speed at this robot and Egon's like no no he knows what he's doing let him do it and you're just like you're just gonna. I mean, this this moron could die. I realize it's his fault, but you know that that could kill him. Right. Like, so it's kind of like I was like, he kind usually a little more logical than that, but I guess he's just trusting that Roland knows what's up. So that whole scene was kind of funny, but you know he gets in there and gets the ghost trap free, and then you know they save the day and all that, and it's like a real abrupt ending to the show. They're like, oh, caught it. Go back to normal. Right. But, during that whole montage scene there at the end, well, not even a montage, but just in the way that scene plays out, you see Egon say something, this could be a disaster of biblical proportions. Yeah. That's, um... <clears throat> I like this episode. There's moments when I'm watching it that I kind of, like, zone in and out a little bit. It's not one of the stronger episodes, but it's not terrible or anything. I do like a lot of it a lot. Like, um, specifically the part with the kid and the robot possessed at the beginning. A lot of the yeah. interaction of the Ghostbusters is funny and stuff, but kind of the plot of it is, it loses its interest near the end, but it, it kind of picks it back up, I guess, at the climax. Yeah, it kind of, kind of slows down in the middle. I think this episode would have been a much better episode overall had that ghost stayed in that toy for a long period of time and was able to hide and evade and, and stuff like that. I think that would have been more entertaining. You know, because then they yeah. could have gone around and you could have gotten some humorous moments of them like looking for it. Have you guys seen this toy? And everybody like, a toy robot? Like what? To toys don't walk on their own and talk on their own, right? So right. I, th I thought that could have made a better episode, but yeah, pretty easy one, right? Very, very yeah. consumable there. Quick to digest. A lot of a lot exactly. of fiber in there for that one is filler. So just kind of 
Flies oh, yeah. around by. What's all this pet food for? Fiber. So that yes, was episode Satan. seven. You realize since we're doing a Mortal Kombat special, that's gonna throw off our uh, count with these now. Episode nine of our podcast will be episode eight of Extreme Ghostbusters, so all hell is broken loose. No, because <laughs> then we don't title that one a normal title. We just call that the Mortal Kombat special. <laughs> I'm mean, keeping that's true. the I'm keeping the numbering scheme. <laughs> that's yeah, like se- fight it. That's season one special episode number one. While the following week will be season one episode eight. <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. Yeah, May as well though. Don't you be fucked with me on that. I'm the boss. Oh, you're the boss. Hey, Mona, why don't you give me some head? <laughs> so uh, That's fucked up, and only like three people will get it ever. <laughs> if you're a local Kansas City fan, you may realize that there's a band here at one point in time that put out a compilation, and they have a song about Tony Danza, and the singer like does a Tony Danza impersonation the whole time he sings the song, and that's one of the lines in there. He says, hey, Mona, why don't you give me some head? And it's a Tony Danza. Tony Danza. Used to play the major leagues. <laughs> Got kicked out. Moved in with Sam. God damn. Yeah. That's some funny shit, Good though. stuff. I mean, are all your friends Satanists? A young Frenchman photographed this flying saucer, or is it? From a Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography? We're discussing Satanism and the occult this morning and some of the dangers. Telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the Sirius Atlantis. For the purposes of this study, we will focus on the number 666. Tonight on Six Sad World. Hello, and welcome to Six Sad World. Sick, sad, the world. The world is sick and sad. So for Sick, Sad World this week, we flipped the script. This is usually Alex's interest. But uh, I was on Netflix the other night. And like something that came up in like the recommended or trending or whatever it was is this program about the Waco, Texas incident. And I basically binge-watched it in two nights because I was like, well, shit, mix it up a little bit. And my God, my God, some fucked up shit. I will say that TV series is pretty interesting. Definitely makes things kind of entertaining. You catch my Great Outdoors reference there for you? Wow. 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 Or, wow, hot. There's two wows in there that are very good. Uh, that That's an amazing movie. One of the greatest movies of the 1980s. Anyway, I'll just say before you get too deep into this that the way I will be contributing is to... You'll be talking about the series. I have some facts and background information on a, uh, a bunch of this stuff. So that's kind of my aspect is the research aspect. I'll, I will be contributing a little bit, but I'm going to let you take the reins and then kind of shove my way in when I feel necessary. Uh, well, there's going to be no forcible entry here, but I will, uh, let you do that. So the cast in this program is pretty entertaining, right? And so Michael Shannon's in this and the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, who the hell is that? That guy is so fucking familiar. I couldn't figure it out, but he's in one of the greatest Christmas movies ever made. 
the night before. He's in a lot of good shit. He's a great fucking actor, so. Yeah, he plays Mr. Green in there. But, like, that's the most, just the way he talks really in there is, like, really what stood out to me. But he does a great job in this role. He plays an FBI. Um, is he in Kangaroo Jack? I'm not sure. I don't think I've seen Kangaroo <laughs> Jack. You took me to see that in theaters. I did. And it was, uh, yes, I remember specifically we went to the Great Mall theaters, the uh, Dickinson 16 or whatever was over there. And uh, why it was really funny is because the trailers made it seem like it was going to be almost Scooby-Doo-ish, like with a talking CGI kangaroo. But then there's only like a five-minute dream sequence where he's talking, and the rest of the movie it's just a regular kangaroo wearing a hoodie accidentally. So it's kind of like a really shitty movie, but... I don't know, there's probably people that'll try to fight me over that on the internet, but that's fine. Uh, that's weird, because I have no recollection of that. At all. Yeah, you specifically were like, hey, we're gonna go see this movie. I don't know, I was like fucking 11 when that came out, so... You were probably barely 17 or 18, I think you were still working at Toys R Us or something. Shit, then, you'd have been younger than that. I don't know, we'll have to look into that, but that's bizarre, because I have no idea that... Um... Anyway, Waco. Yeah, Waco. <laughs> so Rory Culkin's in it also, and he does a good job in there. Rory Culkin is excellent. He's uh, really good in Lords of Chaos. If you have uh, the opportunity, you should check that out. Yeah. And then Julia Garner, if you've seen the series Ozarks, uh, she plays Ruth in there. So, Oh, nice. She's, yeah, she's good. She's a good actress. Does her, She does a good job in this role. And so it was kind of actually refreshing seeing her be someone that's like not such a complete psychotic piece of white trash. Um, she just plays like a weird religious cult member. So the series is pretty interesting, right? It shows Rory Culkin, like joining the cult and kind of getting in there with Taylor Kitsch and, you know, kind of making friends and, you know, joining in there. And like, they find out they got this love of music. Cause like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, I see a bunch of like, uh, are the ego models of amplifiers as I've always called them. So, you know, like the, 4x12 stacked on a slanted 4x12, you know, with your giant amp head on there, like a bunch of this stuff in there, because um, right. David Korish uh, basically was big into this music and stuff, and so that's kind of a reoccurring theme throughout the show, is that he's playing some music a few times here and there. So when does the show start, timeline-wise? Yeah, it starts off before everything happens, right? And, you, and so you just do a little bit of character development there, just to kind of get what this... David Korsh is all about, right? And so you see him interacting with David Thibodeau, I think is how you pronounce that last name. And that's the character that Rory Culkin plays. And you see those two kind of building a relationship and uh, getting in there together with it. So I gotcha. It's very interesting, though, because, you know, I'd, I'd heard about this incident before, but I'd never really researched it. And, you know, the show doesn't play up on the crazy, crazy amount of, you know, this being a religious cult, right? right? You know, I did a little research and reading afterwards, just finding about how, like, this guy took over, you know, David took over this cult from the previous leader of it, and, like, they'd split into two factions prior to that. So it already had some own controversy there, but they yeah, played it out. Yeah, was already, uh, specifically when they, uh, the son of the, old founder dug up the casket of Anna Hughes from the Davidson Cemetery. 
or the Davidian Cemetery, and he uh, challenged Howell to a resurrection contest. Yep. And then there was a shooting with them. Um, you know, they were tried for murder. Gave him the chair. Exactly. That's exactly what I was brothers. thinking. That's why I stopped talking, because I immediately, my brain was like, Ghostbusters 2. And I started watching it in my head, and I gave up on this. I was like, that actually sounds like a better idea right now. <laughs> no, no, but uh, Roden threatened the court with STDs if they ruled against him and all sorts of crazy shit. So, like I said, he, he had admitted in court to attempting to resurrect that fucking body. And he challenged the guy to a resurrection contest. Yeah, and that's that basically is, uh, what he got charged with was desecrating, uh, uh, you know, the remains or somebody. So, yeah, so I read that, but, you know, then they kind of get to the story too quick. Like, they, they don't really waste a lot of time. They give you just enough character development to kind of get an idea of what this guy's going to be like, right? And, um, you know, that you see that the uh, ATF has planted a, a neighbor nearby. It's just kind of keep an eye on things and um, sees like what kind of a person David Koresh really is. And like you see him like actively argue against some of the things going on later in the show. It's pretty interesting though to see. Um, the, the show doesn't explain a whole lot of reason why the uh, ATF actually wants to raid the place, but doing my research later on, it was. They were buying some weapons and then buying additional parts to modify them to make them fully automatic weapons. So the version they were buying was semi-automatic. ATF didn't like that because I think it was the mailman that tipped them off saying, hey, and like, you know, they're buying all these weapons and have them delivered here. So and they're, and they're buying the parts to make them fully automatic, which was not illegal in Texas. Yeah, but um, behind the scenes also, this guy was claiming to have divine visions and words with God that <clears throat> you need to fucking procreate with all the women in your cult. The men who are the husbands of those women have to be celibate. And then he ended up having multiple underage brides. He thought he was entitled up to, quote, 140 wives. He had, at the end of this, at least 12 to 13 of his own fathered children with random cult members and as brides as young as 12 and 13. Yeah, and they, they, so they there get there's no that. sympathy for this actual man. But if you think about that, how many of these weird people and in, in situations and they ended up, you know, with how many people died? Like, I have that written down somewhere. It's fucked up. Yeah, so that's the thing. So the, the show does a good job of not overly villainizing the people that are in the cult, right? You get to know that, like, they are basically all cuckolds of David Korsh, like all the men are. They're into that yeah. thing. And, you know, they all struggle with it. But then they also have a moment where, like, David Korsh is with one of the women and then, like, acts like he's disgusted after having sex with her because he's, like, you know, basically he goes on the speech about the body's not about pleasure it's about you know procreating and you know making more people for god's army or whatever you want to call it so pretty interesting stuff yeah it's really just fucked up and and it's just like yeah so i have it written down that 76 people died in a fire 25 of them were children two of them were pregnant women yep yeah it's pretty messed up so you see this atf rage right and then you see that 
David Koresh tries to go out and talk to the ATF. Or, you know, not, it wasn't an FBI raid, I meant ATF. Um, so, you know, then shooting opens up, and there's debate over, like, who actually shot first, right? Um, the Davidians basically say that someone else, that you know, that the ATF shot first. The ATF said that they shot first, but there's supposedly also people went in there and shot dogs. You know, there's a, a crew part of the ATF that would go shoot down dogs, like guard dogs and things like that. So supposedly that crew went and shot the dogs down, and that's where the shooting supposedly started. But a lot of controversy around that. So basically, the ATF fucked up pretty bad on this. Um, and then part of that was just trying to figure out what the hell happened. And so, like, this gun battle, like, doesn't look like it goes on for very long in the show. But basically, in real life, I think it went on for over three hours, and basically the ATF were there until they ran out of ammunition and just had to leave. They had to basically withdraw out of that. And by that point in time, you know, they start getting the FBI involved and everything else to go from there, which pretty interesting to see how that breaks down. And then they have this standoff for 51 days. And David Koresh, you know, basically is telling them that, you know, he's got a vision from God at a couple of times, right? You know, yeah. he says, well, God wants me to give me my message. And so he agrees to end everything. He says, you know, if you play this videotape of me doing that, kind of gets in a hurry to do that. It doesn't go the way he wants it to do. The media tears him apart after this thing's released. They really criticize him there. And then you see the FBI start fighting amongst themselves over how to resolve the situation. So Michael Shannon that plays Gary Nosner, um... You know, he's he's the negotiator that wants things to end peacefully. And then you have the uh, other FBI agent who's just all about using force. And eventually, right. you see how this plays out. Um, and then no one really knows, like, what happened with the fires there, right? So, uh, I believe it was the fire department's arson investigation said that the, the Vidians set the place on fire themselves. Um, because one of the reoccurring themes that comes up throughout the show is that um, they just botched one of these mass suicides recently before this Waco thing happened, right? And that's kind of nuts in its own right. So they're worried about like a mass suicide under the FBI watch and investigation. And so they have to keep saying like, you know, we're not suicidal about this. And over the course of time, you know, they do release some hostages. Um you know, due to the stress, the mothers that are in there nursing their babies stop producing milk, dry up. So they're asking for milk, and there's controversy over that. There's a lot of controversy with how this whole thing played out, and the series was based on two books. It was based on um, one of the survivors that was on the inside, and it was based on Gary's book. So it's it's interesting that they take these two accounts and kind of paint an interesting picture of what happened there that way. Yeah. So. I just thought it was crazy, like, you know, this guy's obviously clearly, like, super, super deep into the religion and all this dark stuff, and all those people died on account of that, and people were okay with that, right? And it makes me wonder, like, what are people okay with that for? Like, what has gone so wrong in your life that you're willing to hear a message so abstract and so illogical? to get to that level to actually be in a cult. 
I mean, I don't know. Neither do <laughs> it's I. It's fucked up. It's, and it's um, disturbing. You feel bad for them because they're a victim at that point. Even like, you know, I'm sure there were some people in his cult that were also manipulative assholes. But the vast majority of them, especially like the manipulated people that are in there and the children are all completely victims. Oh, yeah. The children are the... That's the biggest tragedy there is the children that get involved in this or were born into this. And then the other thing is, like, all these women that are just okay with, like, having babies from this guy and, like, spreading that around and, like, all these men that are, like, just getting cuckled by him and they're okay with it. Like, what... It is interesting on the human psychology piece with with cults and... Lots of cults have that weird shit where the cult leader's like, all right, you only can fuck me now. Jim Jones is that way. Yeah, it's it's so bizarre because there's like this sexual manipulation and, you know, from the way you gather it, and obviously no one can really say for sure, but so if David Koresh, you know, was really into sex, you know, they may have played it like he wasn't. Who knows what he was actually like, but... You know, why is he on such a power trip for that and, like, just wanting to sow his seed everywhere? It's like, dude, you don't need that many kids. And then the inbreeding kids in there, especially how a lot of those cults and And those little things go on. Yeah, and then had this carried on and had this not turned out the way it had, imagine how many inbreds there would be there, right? Or purebred people. We call it (sighs) purebred for dogs, but called inbred for, for people, which, you know, no, they'd be purebred Texans. Sorry if you're a fan in, in Texas, but this happened in your state, so you got to take some of the credit for it. If you're a fan in Texas, hit us up on Twitter. <laughs> yep, so this Waco siege was very interesting to see how that all played out, and then just the senseless violence there with the way that raid was botched and all those people were killed there, all the violence there, and then obviously the media just eats this up. It becomes a huge thing. It gets sensationalized. Everyone's talking about it. Press conferences. You know, I was too young at the time to really be paying attention to that kind of crap. But, um, you know, that's just so driven by, like, the story the news wants to tell you, right? So the fact that they were already in a cult is what makes this that much worse. You know, because this had just this been just a group of people that were just ordering these guns and doing that, you know, it probably would have played out differently, so. Well, yeah, the cult dated back to 1955, so. And it split off as a sect then from another cult, and then eventually, like we said and mentioned earlier, split off again in, like, 1984. Yeah, so so this thing would have kept going for a very long time had this not all happened. So, and to this, you know, I'm not sure, like, the current situation or the current state of this group, but there were some survivors, so. There are two cults I want to talk about in future episodes. The Heaven's Gate, which is my, uh, you know, favorite, as in find most interesting and like to do research and discuss on. But uh, the other one is Jared Leto's cult. If you haven't heard about that or anything, but uh, that's from funny shit and weird shit. He has like his own island. Have you heard about this shit? Uh, No, I haven't actually. I'll have to do some research and we'll talk about it in uh, episode eight. But uh, it's some weird shit. He has, like, some island that's, like, half, you know, like, A-list celebrity spa, like, uh, 
spiritual shit, but it's also just like he calls it a cult and everybody there is like given new clothes that are all like white and shit. So it's a fucking cult. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of good reading on, um, the, the Davidian cult here. Right. So, you know, there's like allegations of sexual abuse and stuff from David Koresh in there amongst other things. So on top of these weapons, I think the weapons is basically what gave them a chance to get in there and do that. Um, very, very dark stuff. But I guess the uh, movement was started in 1930 by a Bulgarian immigrant, Viktor Hutev. And he left uh, another Seventh-day Advent- Adventist theology. So, yeah, a bunch of stuff, man. Like, that's... Depending on where or not you stand on religion, we're not going to get too into that. But I'm not big on religion myself, and all these things. Let just me guess. Those are worshippers, exactly. Pretty much, right? No studying. So, read up on the Waco tragedy if you want to watch the series. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, the acting on there is pretty good. Taylor Kitsch plays David Korsh, and intriguing you know the job he's done i'm not super familiar with him at least off the top of my head and then michael shannon i want to say he's from game of thrones or something like that but i don't watch game of thrones so i'm it could be like that could be total bullshit for all i really know yeah i think people are probably like i'm probably pissing the internet off right now i don't care (laughs) probably oh he played remy labu in x-men origins wolverine so you know the first time they fucked up deadpool Oh yeah, he so he. Who did he play in that? Gambit. Yep. Pretty forgettable. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yep. <sighs> Weird. Yeah, he's in some he's in some trash stuff on here. Snakes on a plane. Yeah, definitely not in my type of my type of stuff. Snakes on did, a plane he... is another one of those movies like Sharknado that. People always say dumb shit about, like, they just don't understand that it's satire. It's extreme satire, and they're like, oh, imagine being the guy that pitched, you know, Sharknado, and, you know, people accepted it, ha, 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 ha. And you're like, yeah, but I mean, it's That's all fine and dandy until you're the asshole that's never had a TV show or a movie made. Right. Like, sucks to be you, nerd. So yeah, that's the uh, the cult stuff there. So that's uh, took up a good chunk of time there. So read about it if you so want to know more. Yep, that's that's six Ed World this week. We're gonna move on to a uh, a new segment which uh, we would have probably debuted earlier. Debuted. Yeah, but earlier. you know, with the whole world being in shutdown. Can't really see anything new at the theaters right now. So we did. Some foreshadowing earlier, and uh, a movie was released on Friday. You want to tell me about that, Alec? So Back to the Future is a bunch of bullshit? Video reviews with the Frog Brothers podcast. So Scoob, Scoob came out. 
I was looking forward to Scoob in the last at least week or two. Before that, when I saw the trailers, I was I was one of those people who was kind of pissed off for a while. I was like, why why are you doing this again? And why are you doing... Why, why is, what's happening with this movie? Frank, you, Frank Welker's in this? But wait, he's not playing Fred? Or is he even playing Scooby-Doo? What's happening with this movie? What's with this? Is Will, who's Will Forte's in this? What's going on? So I was kind of weirded out at first and not interested in it at all. Then I, I uh, you know, saw some of the more Hanna-Barbera stuff when I was reading about it, and I was like, okay, it's kind of, that gives me a little bit of hope, because it could go back to sort of the late 70s, early 80s, Scooby-Doo, big into crossover, Scooby-Doo movies, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, Pup Named Scooby-Doo, all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, no, they give a an interesting way, you know, when you see some of the trailers for it, you know, when I heard about it and saw it, you know, I'd already heard about the controversy of them recasting um, Scooby's, or not Scooby's voice, but um, Shaggy's voice. So, yeah. I guess what really, so after having seen it, right, I watched this, uh, let's see, I bought it Friday, I think I watched it Saturday night. Will Forte is good in some roles, but he fucking sucked. Is Shaggy. It annoyed me anytime he fucking spoke. Now, Frank Welker yeah. or Scooby-Doo is spot on with Scooby-Doo, right? Frank Welker is a seasoned voice acting veteran, and he took that role over from the original Scooby-Doo voice. Let's see, you said that was like 20 years ago when he did that? Don Messick, right? Yeah, because Don Messick, yeah, he voiced Scooby-Doo from 1969 to 1996. Uh, Frank Welker probably took over on Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Not 100% on that, but I know that he didn't play Scooby-Doo in the live-action movies. Only one, that the guy who played him in the live-action movies never played him in anything else, so that's kind of interesting. But, we'll say the live-action version, it's not a terrible Scooby-Doo, the voice at least. Yeah, so Frank Welker started in 2002 to present... But the vault and Neil Fanning did too. So, but Frank Welker's like the seasoned veteran man. Like you know, he's if you've watched anything in the last, you know, if you watched any cartoons in your childhood, you know who Frank is, just right. by having heard him. So to me, he's the highlight of the movie. He does a really good job. Yeah, I agree. His uh, Scooby Doo is 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 on par. Um, yeah. A couple of one of the things I've noticed quickly that I really liked about it was that the uh, sound effects. So the sound yes. effects aren't quite... the They're not the original recordings of Hanna-Barbera sound effects, but they are recreations of them that are done masterfully. And the fact that they use them so much, it definitely gives it that, that Scooby-Doo vibe that you need. There's something a little extra there. That some people might not notice. It might just be there, but it's it works and it's it helps. Yep. I thought, you know, that really adds to it, right? You can see what they're trying to do is set this up as, uh, well, you know, like I said earlier, Hanna-Barbera universe maybe, where you have some of these characters cross over, and I'm fine with that, right? Um, surprisingly enough, one of the characters, one of the voices I thought did a good job, because I'm not, I still like regular, I still prefer a true voice actor, not just getting a celebrity to do a voice of, and then like, well, okay, maybe if you're doing something new, but just to have random celebrities take over these other roles seems kind of silly to me. Right. Um, 
But you get some good ones in there. Like Mark Wahlberg was the voice of Brian Crown in the Blue Falcon. And he gets rid of that heavy Boston accent he's usually walking around with. And like you almost don't even notice it's him at sometimes, which as a voice acting job is great, right? I don't want to be able to say, oh, that just sounds like Mark Wahlberg talking as himself. And then uh, yeah. Jason Isaacs did Dick Dastardly. I thought he did a good job for that role. Um, it felt yeah, very... Yeah, Dick Dastardly was decent. Yeah, it felt like over-the-top cartoonish, which is what you want, right? So I thought that was good. Zach Efron is Fred Jones. Didn't love it, didn't hate it. Um, they kind of play up Fred just being a complete idiot, which, yeah, lots of times he's portrayed as the muscle, but they've almost kind of gone down and like make it, made him comically idiot, idiotic. They, I've... I've, they've pretty much been doing that since a pup named Scooby-Doo. It was the same way with Freddie Prince Jr. His his Fred was basically a moron. Yeah. Um, so um, an interesting note. So Amanda Seyfried was the voice of Daphne, but young Daphne was voiced by McKenna Grace, who has been cast in the upcoming Ghostbusters Afterlife movie. So interesting to see that she's doing something just like a voice acting role as well which yeah, I think cool. shows how dynamic things need to be. Um, Billy West did the voice of Muttley, which is pretty awesome to have another seasoned voice actor in there. Uh, yep. Seeing any of those, West. seeing any of those classic voice actors do, do these roles, like makes me happy in an animated movie that it's still not completely just overly dominated by some of this stuff. Well, how, how funny is it too, that that this is Scooby-Doo, which is basically children's horror, which is what, some of the Ghostbusters cartoons are. You also have someone from Ghostbusters Afterlife, uh, someone from Extreme Ghostbusters, and someone from Real Ghostbusters in this movie. Yes, a lot of crossover there, right? So when you when you kind of go into those realms, you're going to see that. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool, though. The other voice actor that I thought was kind of fun was Ken Jong did the Dino Mutt, the Dog Wonder. And I, yeah. I quite enjoyed his performance on there. I thought he had a good, a good, he had a good balance to uh, Mark Wahlberg's Blue Falcon. So I thought those two working together, like if they were going to do their own movie, you know, if they're going to break out in universe and do their own thing, like those two work together well. Which yeah. is important to have I, that um, kind of chemistry. I enjoyed Dino Mutt a lot. He's kind of um, more enjoyable than Blue Falcon for me. But I'm also oh, just kind of like, I remember Dino Mutt a lot from watching old, like when I was a kid and Cartoon Network was around, you know, it was basically the Hanna-Barbera Network. It's pretty much what it was. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like all like the old, <clears throat> so they would play a bunch of the old anything Hanna-Barbera. So that's when I ended up rewatching all that stuff in the 90s, even though it was from the 60s and 70s mostly. Oh, okay. Nice. But, um... I noticed that within the first 10 minutes of this movie, I heard Tupac, NSYNC, and Bobby Darin. So I was like, this soundtrack's pretty fucking weird. Um, I also noticed that during the beginning, which uh, this doesn't really spoil much for you or anything, not that if you've seen the trailer, it doesn't anyway. You know, it kind of shows uh, Shaggy meeting Scooby and stuff. But I found myself prior... When they meet and stuff, <clears throat> and their interactions, I was like welting up, and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Am I going to cry? And then it happened. I cried. 
and I started, am I, what the fuck? Am I Kevin Smith? Am I going to cry at every fucking movie that reminds me of my childhood now? Is that what phase of life I'm at? And Very then well, uh, Shaggy yeah. proceeded to give Scooby-Doo a collar, and I bawled again. So apparently that's who I am now. Yeah, I cry see, at children's movies. And the thing for me that gets me on that with, with you telling me that is, I remember you talking about it the other day, so I'm like, that's the one thing in the movie I don't really need, but then you see that, and um, it's well done. It's completely and totally un, 100% unnecessary. But when you look at, like, Scooby-Doo, yeah, they try to make him as adorable as possible. It's like that gangly, like, you know, if you've had a dog, you know, you know how they go through growing stages, right? Well, a Great Dane's a giant dog anyway, so you see him in, like, this awkward gangly phase, you know. And yep. they're almost in reverse roles because Shaggy's usually the one that's awkwardly tall and gangly, yet, you know, young Shaggy looks pretty normal, but Scoob looks like awkward proportions as the puppy Scoob, so... Um, yeah, pr- pretty good stuff there. Um, there was, um, I didn't take a whole bunch of notes while I was watching this cause, um, for one, it's a spoiler fee review and for two, I, I was just trying to watch the movie also, but, uh, I did take note of a, what I will call a disappointing cameo. Like, I'll just say this about the cameo. What year is it? Why, why is this celebrity cameo here? What year did this movie come out? Why this person's not relevant right now? 15, 20 years ago, maybe. Which who's that? I don't want to say because I don't want to spoil the cameo, even though it's a shitty cameo. Oh, okay, well, that's fine. But it's a cameo as themselves. Oh, okay. Then I know which which one you're talking about. Yeah, and I get that. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're talking to a younger audience, that might be somebody that they still know from watching with with family at home or something like that. So, but I don't. I don't, I don't see children knowing who that is lucas who's 17 i see he may knew who that is but i see if a a 12 year old seeing that i don't see why a 12 year old will know who that is now but i don't know maybe the world is someplace where i'm not and i'm old and grouchy but yeah you're that get off my lawn guy now no fucking get off my lawn shitty celebrity cameos yep Overall, I'd say the movie's fun. It's got some good moments in it. The animation is excellent. It looks really good. I love the detail on a lot of the things. Um, it's yeah, pretty the, happy with that. Some of the ghosts that. and stuff were really cool, too. Yeah, I thought they did a good job of making it look like some of the old-style animation. They updated the character looks a little bit, just enough to make it, you know, not look like it's 40-year-old fashion. Um, but with Scooby-Doo, you get some, like, really good detail on him, so it really feels like you're watching Scooby-Doo. And the animated version of this, Scooby, looks so much better than what they did in the old animated movies, right? And that's just because where we are with technology. So um, definitely fun. Yeah, I Aim love for the kids. animation. Aim for kids. I would love to see a TV series kind of set in this universe just to see what they could do with the characters. But with Will Forte as, as Shaggy, man, hmm, it's really difficult for me. I, I mean... <laughs> If they would yeah. recast, if they would recast Shaggy, like that's one of the main characters for me. Like, so I re, I I picked up some old Scooby Doo, um, on digital download through the iTunes store, and I got Matthew the, Lillard's still ready, man. Yeah, he's on the call. Yeah, and, and he does just fine, right? I think he 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 personifies that for a lot of people. He is their uh, Shaggy, right? And so, and he's not so far off base from. Casey Kasem doing that. And so that was one thing I noticed rewatching some of the old series. You know, I, I bought the uh, first couple seasons of 
Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? And then the first season of Pup Named Scooby-Doo. And even on Pup Named Scooby-Doo, Casey Kasem voices Shaggy and he just pitches his voice up a little bit higher to sound like a kid. And it works very well. And in this, it's just like, um, Will Forte just does not do it for me. Everyone else, uh, you know, that's the one, my, that's my biggest gripe on that is that he just did not feel like shagging me at all. Everyone else I was okay with, even some like Zach Efron, I'm like, whatever, kind of forgettable. Yeah. Um, I, um, I would he, agree with that because I, I liked, I like Will Forte. I'm very much a Will Forte advocate. He, uh, you know, he's on SNL. He was a writer for SNL. He was a writer on that 70s show. He's been in a million different TV shows and movies over the years. Everything from, like, Beer Fest. He's one of the Germans, you know. Yeah. He, Last Man on Earth. You know, all this stuff. Um, specifically that movie, A Futile and Stupid Gesture, when he plays Doug Kenny. Uh, that's really good. But this just didn't do it for me, for him. Yeah, no, I, no, I don't mind him at all in other stuff. I think he's funny. I just don't think he, he doesn't carry the embodiment of what you expect from Shaggy, right? And it's not that he gives a shitty performance, it's just that the tonal qualities of his voice do not work for me for Shaggy as a character. Yep. Especially side-by-side side with Frank Welker, right? You've got someone that's fucking incredible at voice acting. And then you put Will Forte next to him, and I'm like, man, you could have done Will Forte as any other character in this movie or any other animated movie, I wouldn't care about it. Give him his own, something, something his own to do, right? But. He could have been, I would have seen him, he probably would have been fine as any other character in the movie, including Blue Falcon, Dynamut, or Dick Dastardly. Yeah, absolutely. So, to me, that was my biggest disappointment. But other than that, it's a fun movie. Definitely made for kids, but I have kids, so, you know, wanted to see that, and hopefully I'll be able to sit down and watch it with them soon and kind of share the love for Scooby-Doo with them and show them some of the classics and let them form their own opinions, but that's just me. With that being said, that is uh, our review, our spoiler-free review of Scooby-Doo. Um, I had an idea, which we may or may not do, uh, for at least future stuff. I don't know if we'll do it for Scoob, but uh, where we will do reviews where we do talk about spoilers, and we'll probably just either upload them as extra content or uh, to our YouTube, or maybe when we get a Patreon going. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So. Top five, top, top five. This is top five. Top five, top five, top five, top five. Chevy Chase films. The top five Chevy Chase films. So Chevy Chase. So our our friends over on the Yes Have Some podcast. We're talking about Chevy Chase recently, and that's kind of why I was like, you know what? We should talk about our top five Chevy Chase films because they're talking about, you know, kind of how he's lost the luster with them recently, just with some of the stuff that's come about, come out about him as who he is as a person. But uh, well, it's come out of his mouth. Yeah, usually just being an offensive old prick. But, you know, hey, who doesn't yeah, have so. one of those in their family? So, uh, well, I, yeah, let's just say I don't condone his assholery. I still no. will enjoy his old films, but. <clears throat> I don't. Do so do? I came up with my top five list, and let's get through that top five list, and I'll throw a few other thoughts on top of that. So what came in at number five for you? Number five for me. Um, see, with Chevy Chase, there's a lot of movies that he's done that I've seen 
that I <clears throat> have just kind of moved on from. Or, uh, you know, he has a lot of smaller roles in some random movies, too. I don't consider those uh, Chevy Chase films. So, to me, it has to be at least a starring role or top build or something, you know, at least. So, yeah, number five sense. for me, he's part of a trio, if that gives you any hints. Three Amigos. Three Amigos with Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Chevy Chase. Very good. That was very close to being on my list, but I just went with, like I said, I didn't do any, didn't want to do any research, and I went by gut instinct, and that was close with another one. I was like, eh, I'm just going to go with gut instinct. Yeah, so. I went with Three Amigos because, uh, like I said, I like the other cast members in it a lot. Steve Martin and Martin Short are both some of my other favorite classic actors and uh, comedians, so... No, that totally makes it's, sense. Uh, it's great, and it's it's a great film if you are someone who's obsessed with movies and filmmaking and the making of films because they don't play... They, they play actors in it. They're not actually like the Three Amigos. They're forced into the situation. It's kind of like um, an 80s version of like what Tropic Thunder kind of is now, you know? So. Yeah, that's the basic premise there. I'd say that's a fair way to compare it to someone who may not have seen that yet. It has, um, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of movie. Like, as a kid, I didn't like it at all. It was boring to me, but as an adult. Yeah, that's definitely one that you have to have some culture and some level of appreciation for movies that, yeah, as a young kid, I'm like, whatever, I, I don't get the raving about this. But, you know, you go back and watch it once you know a little bit more about movies or your taste in those things have been refined. And I'd say even as a teenager or young adult, like, you could really enjoy it. And that's, I enjoy it a lot more than I used to, I'll tell you that. What's uh, your number five? Uh, it's a widely re- movie that's widely regarded as a dumpster fire, but I fucking love it because I got to see it all the time on cable, and that would be nothing but trouble. Nice. Uh, that was the one time they they fucked up and they let Dan Aykroyd direct something, and I, I don't think they've uh, <laughs> I don't think they've allowed that since. Old Uncle Dan, not allowed to direct anymore after that one. Yeah, if you want to see uh, John Candy and Drag, this is your movie. Uh, and if you want to see Dan Aykroyd with a penis for a nose, and if you want to see Chevy Chase go crazy in this movie, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting one. It's just obnoxiously over the top, but it's really fun as well. So, I mean, you've got Tupac in there doing a musical segment. And I will give Dan Aykroyd credit for that. Like, Dan Aykroyd's, like, always been one to, like, throw in music guests and music and, and things. Yeah. And, and he, just pursue what like, he likes. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He's like, no, I like it. I'm going to put it in there way ahead of his time on that. Well, that's the thing is, too, he's, he's smart enough to realize that it was probably a cool decision to put Tupac in there, even though the film ended up being forgotten by pretty much everyone, except for weird people like us. Uh, and uh you know maybe some of our listeners and stuff but that's a that's a movie that's widely forgotten and uh i don't know how widely forgotten it could be because i remember right after me coming out of high school like that was in walmart's bargain bin for like several years of like the three or five dollar dvds they used to just have like in the big fucking just dig through the dumpster fire pile of shitty movies that were mass produced so a lot of people probably have it in their collection but Watching it on cable as a kid, yeah, it definitely sticks with me. So, number four. Number four is going to be 
Christmas vacation for me. Okay. Um, out of all the vacation movies, this is one of my uh, favorites. I, you know, I'm not crazy about European vacation or Vegas vacation. I'll watch them once in a while when I'm just kind of like, I have to be in that mood to kind of just continue that story or something, you know what I mean, I guess. But uh, Christmas Vacation, we've just always watched our whole lives. I don't have to tell you anything more about it other than it's my number four. Nice. I know that our listeners know this movie. Yeah, that's much higher on my list, but that's little different for me but uh, uh my number four was uh caddyshack love caddyshack um for me it's it's so funny to have uh that whole movie right and that movie you know he's highly built on that is he one of the main characters yes it's a good ensemble cast so to me like this is the furthest away from him just being front and center the entire movie that i have on my list but he does a good job in there um it's a fun movie the only time you ever see him and Bill Murray share a, uh, a scene in a movie on there because they were notoriously known for hating each other and feuding from the SNL days. And Bill Murray basically had no respect for Chevy Chase because he left SNL to go star in movies and hop from the East Coast to the West Coast to be a film star. And man, look how that turned out for him. <laughs> All right, number three. Number four for you, right? Oh, yours was Caddyshack. All right, that's what we were just talking about. <laughs> I was looking at my list for a second here. I was like, wait a minute. Number Whoa. three for me is Spies Like Us. Uh, co-starring Dan Aykroyd. I love Spies Like Us. I didn't actually see it until... I was probably 15 to 20, somewhere in there at least. I bought a a DVD pack that had all three Austin Powers movies and Spies Like Us. And I was like, I've never seen that. I'll watch that. And it's fucking hilarious. My favorite scene is uh, the scene where they're... when the, they meet and they're taking the test or whatever. Chevy Chase is clearly cheating. And then, you know, he's like trying to get Dan Aykroyd to cheat with him and shit. And uh, it's just a funny scene. It's a great movie. I would agree. That's higher up on my list, so I'll talk about it when I get to it. Uh, what do you so, got for three? Uh, just the original vacation. For several reasons, right? Um, to me, that's a classic. But it was directed by Harold Ramis as well. So, like, you had Harold Ramis, like, really work with, with them on that. And they got, I don't know, that movie just... So, for clarity, our mom hates flying. Does not want to fucking fly anywhere to save her life. She'd rather fucking take three weeks to get somewhere by fucking horse and buggy than she would to get on an airplane. So as kids growing up, you know, uh, we lived and died by the road trip. <laughs> so uh, there's some of those moments in those movies that, especially that first vacation, like where they're just going out and fucking shit up. Like we had this like long two week trip on there that that really reminds me of um and just seeing clark you know he's trying to genuinely be like the good parent the good dad here and all this yet he just keeps fucking up and i think you know especially for me like as an as a father now like watching that like that's even more relatable you know before you just related to the whole movie like of how crazy things could be but then you get to the point where like oh yeah i could definitely see how 
you know, that would affect you, you know, as a father. So definitely some interesting stuff in there. What's your number two? Well, my number two was directed by Harold Ramis. Um, it has Brian Doyle Murray in it. Rodney Dangerfield and Bill Murray. It's Caddyshack. Nice. Caddyshack. Uh, I have a special place in my heart for this movie. I don't know why. Like, growing up, I always found it hard to watch and never understood it. But then at some point, it just fucking clicked. Every every bit of it. Specifically, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. For me. I mean, everybody loves Bill Murray from it, but I also love Chevy Chase. And specifically, one of the interchanges he has with uh, the main caddy, Danny. And he's talking to him, and he's like, uh, you know, Danny's having some trouble in his life. He's like, you take drugs, Danny? And he's like, yeah, every day. And he's like, so what's the problem? Just a <laughs> short quip in interchange that's just, like, hilarious. And then when later he's like, you know, he's barefoot and prance around the golf course, and he's, like, sinking putts, and he's going, no, 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 and he's doing all this weird shit. He's all spiritual and doing it, and then he's like, you know, goes into the club and he's like slaying ass and shit too. So it's like, it's a good Chevy Chase movie. Yeah, no, that's definitely, you know, definitely a good one there. And I like how that has all the those actors in there, right? So, um, you know, I don't know if you've read too many of these, but I have Cinderella Story, which is Bill Murray. It's a book he wrote, you know, basically about kind of being a caddy and like the life lessons he's learned through playing golf. And right, you know, our dad is a fanatic for golfing, right? I think he probably spent more time golfing in the summer than he did hanging out with us, which, uh, you know, take that how you will. But uh, for us, issues. yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> we've already dealt Hold with me. it. <laughs> Hold me closer to the dance. No, so I've done some reading on there, and then that and Wild and Crazy Guys really has some good stuff in there. So you see you see how those things worked out. And so, you know, the Murray brothers all worked as caddies on this golf course growing up, so they all have a love of golf. And, you know, that's kind of based on, you know, some of their upbringing on that with some of the basic story concept for it. So definitely seeing it. The Caddyshack went through so many different rewrites, and Doug Kenny... Um, and, uh, who's the original writer? I can't remember, but Doug Kenny did some rewrites on it. And, um, he's the guy who I told you Will Forte played in that a few Thailand's to gesture, which is kind of movie about his life and the animal house and Caddyshack. But in it, there's portrayals of Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Ivan Reitman, Harold Ramis, all those characters, except I don't remember ever seeing anybody play Dan Aykroyd, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So but he wasn't in Caddyshack, so he was in Caddyshack too, which we'll not talk about that. Uh yeah, let's not no, we can't talk that. That's that's a shame. So uh my number two was Spies Like Us. So I love nice. that movie. That movie um There's several movies that you know, kinda led to Ghostbusters, at least in my perspective, right? Or kind of give you that vibe. And one is Stripes, right? That's Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. Like off on this silly adventure. 
But then the partner movie to that for me is Spies Like Us. Like those two movies go hand in hand together, right? Yeah. It's almost like the big studio's version of Armageddon and Deep Impact, except like the military comedy in the in the eighties. But they're both good though. That's the di- that's the difference. Like these are both really good movies. But I quote spies like us all the time at work. Like every time we walk into a room, we're like, doctor, doctor, doctor. And everyone's going around and everyone's stalling because no one actually knows how to do the surgery that's trying to get done. So, yeah. But just, yeah, just the comedic timing with those two, right? It's really awesome. Um, I just love how over the top it is so silly right you know you see him parachuting you see them getting trained in there you see them trying to cheat on this test you see Dan Aykroyd just unhappy being stuck down in the basement you see their actions like when they find out they're the decoys like there's heavily I think this movie heavily influenced in the army now more so than Stripes did more so than Stripes did just because the way these guys are acting together and you know they realize they're these bunch of bumbling idiots out there that are way over over their heads and unqualified for what they're doing. Pretty much. So I remember watching that all the time, too. You know, HBO used to play that or Showtime or Cinemax or whatever, and just being able to catch that anytime it was on, it was always like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch that one. All right, what's your so number one? My number one was uh, Vacation. All right. I think it's, for me, that's my number one Chevy Chase movie because uh, as a, mainly his legendary freak out and then a clear rush of endorphins at the end of the movie. Um, throughout it, he has wild, wildly different moods and um, various different ways of being funny. You have the classic, like, kind of just slapsticky Chevy Chase, awkward, weird, and... But then it has like the you know the family comedy and dark humor. Obviously, it's pretty dark to drive around with a relative's corpse on the top of your car. But uh, that's my number one. What do you got? Well, my number one is Christmas Vacation. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Again, (laughs) those movies like so much capture like the absurdity and the fucking stress of being in a family at times, right? And no no one's got a perfect family, but for me, like Christmas Vacation, I would say I like a little bit more than the original Vacation. And just by a skosh, it's not by much. It's just like barely there, right? It's I make it a point to watch Christmas Vacation every year during the holidays. I don't do that with Vacation, so that was kind of my number one thing for choosing the slotting the, the top there. I can, I can see that. And it's mostly just because, you know, they're stuck at home. And, like, how many times did we have, like, Christmas at home and we had family come in town and we had a bunch of relatives over? And it's just, it's crazy how, like, that movie mirrors so many people's real lives. And so our lists are basically the same except for uh, one movie. Yes. And so to kind of clarify a few things afterwards, I said, I, you know, I wanted to mention a few things Chevy Chase-wise, right? So... We don't condone condone his behavior or what he's done, but one thing I found very interesting just looking at his list of movies, right? So I came up with my list, and then I was like, okay, did I miss anything? So I'll do some research now. I don't do research when I'm just thinking of my top five. I don't like that. I like it to be what naturally comes to you. 
because, you know, if you can't think of it, then it's obviously not that memorable to you, unless you have a memory issue or something else. Then that's the whole other thing. But looking at his list of movies, and then I also had recently read Wild and Crazy Guys, which is an amazing read. If you like any of the movies we like, I'd highly recommend it. Um, Chevy Chase was fucking hit or miss. So much hit or miss. Oh, yeah. There's so many shitty movies on the list that the pop, pop culture and the zeitgeist has just forgotten quickly and they're never going to be heard of again. Yep, so there's a few on there that I know some people would think of. Like, I know a lot of people like Fletch and Fletch Returns. Those are definitely fun Cops movies. Cops and Robertsons I can think of. Yeah, Cops and Robertsons is another fun one. Um, you know, my favorite Chevy Chase cameo is probably Hot Tub Time Machine. Just because that's kind of fun with him, like, being this random character in there worth an out, him having to be the star of the show. Right. Um, but, he, he, you know, he just had so many movies that sucked. Like, you know, he did an Invisible Man movie in the early 90s, and I remember seeing that up in, when we were in Omaha one time and just being like, eh. I have a Chevy Chase album that he recorded in the 80s on piano. Oh, music? Actual piano music? I haven't listened to it, so I think it's... I think it is piano music, but I, I don't know for sure if it's like comedy piano music or not because I'm too scared to listen to it. Oh, but I do to... have like actual comedy records of George Carlin and Steve Martin. Those are comedy records, but this looks more like you know how Bruce Willis released a fucking music album. Yeah, you need, <laughs> this you is need what this to, looks like. You need to do a YouTube video of that. I'm requesting one now of you listening to that for the first time because I need to see your natural reaction. It'd be hilarious. I'll do it. So, yeah, so that's Chevy Chase. Jump on our social media. Let us know what your top five Chevy Chase movies are and why. It's probably pretty similar to ours if you know us, but uh, there's one or two you might, you know, change in or change out on there. So let us know what you think. And also, I'd really be curious, what's what's the Chevy Chase movie you hate the most? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, uh, I can think of him in the movie Snow Day. But uh, I can't really remember a bunch of anything else, like you said, so. Yeah, the stuff you don't like, you know, it's just forgettable. So. So, uh, guess whose anniversary is this week? Yeah, we're talking The Empire Strikes is back. On the 21st day of the fifth month of the 1980th year, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, was released in theaters. There's a lot of interesting stuff about this movie. We're not going to really try to talk about too much of the plot, unless it's like, uh, you know, just a little tidbit here and there. I do have a lot of interesting bits my own feelings about it, and just some um, random things. For uh, intensive purposes, I watched this on VHS, watched my unedited version. That means for all you uh, to children out this. there that um, may not have heard of VHS tapes. So uh, in the mid-90s, George, old George, edited all of his movies and did a special edition, Star Wars to special editions. 
and uh, he since fucked with them even further, but Alec watched a copy that was pre... Special Any edition. fuckery. Yeah. Not that all of it was bad. Yeah. Honestly, there were one or two things I noticed. I was like, oh, hey, I actually missed the, this one thing, and I'll get to that later, but... All right. It so, felt way more nostalgic watching it on VHS, I'll tell you that. Oh, it was I'm pretty sure. cool. It's very fun. Very, very much just all of a sudden I'm a child sitting there and like, oh. So I have the original six on the Blu-ray special, you know, special package edition or whatever. But I was fucking lazy and I just used Disney Plus. So, which after talking there to you, you about it later, there's a few changes that are even on the Disney Plus version compared to some of the Blu-ray releases. So, good info. See, that's like the fourth change because there was the 96, I want to say 2006. That means they did it again and it probably pre-Force Awakens or right right after it, they probably did another edit. Yep, so I got some funny notes on here, right? Because I sat down and actually took a lot of notes of things that I hadn't really paid attention to before because it's Star Wars, right? But good lord, there's a lot of probing on here. <laughs> so you start out with and I just my first note on this movie says Darth Vader is an alien and he's probing the galaxy looking for Skywalker. And I wrote he's a Catholic alien because he's out there probing, <laughs> he's out there probing people without their permission, no consent. He's trying to con, you know, I'm trying to convert these aliens to my intergalactic religion. Yep. Another note, so you see this Wampa come through, right? And he takes down Luke and I'm like What the fuck happens to the uh, Tauntaun? And then, like, later on, you do see the Wampa eating what appears to be the leftover Tauntaun. But I was like, how do you drag them both back to this ice cave? Because I was about to get real pissed off about that for a minute. I was like, good. Better not be fucking that up. So uh, when he when he's eventually hanging in there and he's fighting the Wampa later after he force pulls his lightsaber up. I can't remember for certain, but in the special edition, doesn't it sow some blood and stuff? like has a way more detailed version of the arm getting cut off. Yes, and that's gone again, I do believe, from the version I had, because I had a note on that. I was like, why doesn't he fucking bleed out? But I guess at the same time, you could say a lightsaber is hot enough that it would cauterize the wound instantly as it cuts something off, maybe? I don't well, know. Well, yeah, but I mean, that that just goes back to, I mean, you want to talk about the science of lightsaber, sure, that's probably what it would do. But you go back to Star Wars, the very first movie... Where the guy gets his arm chopped off in the bar the first time a lightsaber is used in a Star Wars universe on someone, there's fucking blood. So, I don't know what to tell you. That guy might just be uh, an organism that's like a water balloon, and that's why there's blood. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. You know I mean? but, yeah, yeah, interesting stuff there. So, yeah, and, that uh, this is the best Star Wars film for me. It's my favorite. So, I'm always down to watch this one. As a kid, Return of the Jedi was always my favorite, but as I matured... My film taste matured with me. Definitely. Your taste in movies got bitter. Pretty much. So, I mean, there's big things in this movie. Like, just a couple things, like, my favorite things about this, why this one's my favorite. I mean, Hoth is in it. The Battle of Hoth. The dynamic between Han and Leia in this movie is, like, the epitome of Han and Leia. Oh, yeah. Uh, See, I think that's Boba what was Fett's missing. still a badass in this movie, you know? Yep. He hasn't been taken out by a fucking five-minute sequence without any lines. Yep. And uh, 
so he's still doing some dope shit in this. You know, Lando, Calrissian, Vespin, all that is dope as hell. Yeah, so there's a lot of things. I'll cover just some of my thoughts that I had kind of jotted down here. So you see the claymation Tauntaun's death, which still looks pretty good, right? I'm glad they didn't fuck some of that up as much as they could have. But Luke just looks like he's tripping balls when he starts seeing Obi-Wan, right? I was like, oh, man, this guy looks like he's he's under the influence. Mm-hmm. I love some of the dialogue, though, like your warship, laser brain, laugh it up, fuzzball. Um, yeah. Oh, and then when uh, Leia's trying to make Han jealous and she kisses Luke, Chewie just fucking laughs at it. And, like, he's in the background just fucking laughing his ass off. And then I put a note, so, I was like, oh, Mistress Leia is what C-3PO calls her at one point in time. I'm like, that's some S&M shit right there. <laughs> Does the, the version you have still have the uh, potato asteroid? Uh, I believe they, uh, I believe that's been updated because my VHS had a potato as an asteroid. <laughs> well, I mean, it kind of looked like it. And um, did you know that this was the first movie to be uh, released in 5.1? Oh, Dolby. Yeah, Lucas was huge on his stuff with his audio. Mm -hmm. Lucas was... If you enjoy good audio in movies, you can really thank George Lucas. He really upped theaters ante in order to play Star Wars. I'm pretty sure it was Return of the Jedi. Yeah. A lot of theaters, though, were not allowed to play the movie unless they upgraded their sound system to his minimal specs. Yeah. So, when this was first released, it was released only 70 millimeter, so a lot of theaters didn't have it. Then they went back and released it 35 millimeter. But for Return of the Jedi, he was like, he basically sent out spec sheets and was like, yeah, if your theaters aren't up to par with this, you don't get to play Return of the Jedi, bitch, because it has to be enjoyed and glorious. So... I said, um, Vader keeps his pimp hand strong, man, when he fucking comes out of hyperspace there in the Haas system. <laughs> he brings the whole fucking team with him, right? You know, like everything. Super Star Destroyers, Star Destroyers, everything. They're sending everybody out. Now, one yeah. of the things that did crack me up early on is C-3PO makes the thing. He's like, oh, I think that might be Imperial. Like, you know six million languages, motherfucker, and you can't tell me for sure that that's Imperial? Fuck you. Right? You, you know goddamn well that C-3PO... Yeah, don't be fucking lying. Tell the truth. You know all kinds of bullshit, and there you don't. Don't like it. So. Oh, and then Dak, yeah, man. Er I feel so bad for Dak. Dak, like, acts like he's going to be this big hero, and then motherfucker dies in the back. He's like the fucking... I think Top Gun was like, when they wrote the character of Goose, they're like, you know, it's the guy in the back <laughs> that you got to write the story about. And I think Top Gun should be dedicated to Dak, because... Motherfucker, he was, he was cut too soon. You know, I heard Mark Hamill was originally cast uh, in that role instead of Tom Cruise, so. Oh, damn. That'd have been cool. No, I'm, that's horse shit. I'm just talking out of my ass. I thought it'd be hilarious. Oh, uh, I was like, goddamn. Hmm, that'd have been badass. That'd have been weird as fuck, but it, I would have watched it just as much. But I can't imagine him sitting there chewing. I can imagine Harrison Ford playing that, but not Mark Hamill. Harrison Ford playing instead... <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, that'd be... I mean, someone should do a deep fake of that. That'd be awesome. I was about to say, have you seen the deep fake of Chris Pratt as Indiana Jones? No, but actually that doesn't sound half bad. <laughs> right? That sounds like... I mean, I know everybody... Like Chris Pratt's name gets thrown around a lot lately, and it's because he's in other franchises that are big franchises, and they're 
doable, and he's clearly someone who can do drama and action and comedy. But he's and lucky, people like though. him. So it's like, he gets thrown around a lot, but honestly, like, eh. If well, they see, had to recast it, that's... Yeah. <laughs> well, when you look at somebody like him, right, he started out as kind of like the fat, out-of-shape out of guy, and so everyone's like, he got cast as Star-Lord, like a fucking hero? You know, and then he got Jurassic World shortly after that, so, like, you get this guy that, you know, I loved him on Parks and Rec, so I thought he's fucking hilarious on there. And yeah. then you see, that, like, he's much more dynamic than that, but he's also funny for... Uh, like the typical, you know, A-lister starring role celebrity that he's become now because of all that. So, so I think that gives him an edge up on other people. Is like he wasn't always just like this. Oh, I'm so fucking in shape. Like, look at me. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm roiding out and I got small balls. You know, he was fucking fat and awkward, which is relatable. You're like, okay, and then and then he's funny, so he's developed that sense of humor, but then he gets himself and you know, and works to that, and I think that's that's kinda cool. Oh, were you fat and awkward? I hadn't noticed. Oh uh, yeah, I'm fat and awkward right now. Well <laughs> fatter than I should be. What can I say? Food tastes good. Saddlebags. <laughs> and then I lose thirty pounds. Park and his wife. <laughs> now, kiss and make up. So when I was watching the uh, Empire Strikes Back, I fucking pulled a Blink-182, and I was like, oh, the Empire Strokes Back. <laughs> I said Strokes Back on accident. I was like, oh, my God, that's genius. It's a perfect parody title. I can see that. Because Blink-182 also had uh, released a live album that was called The Enema Strikes Back, a.k.a. the Mark, Tom, and Travis show which is more, like, mass appeal friendly, but The Enema Strikes Back was a much better title, so. Yeah. But they also almost named one of their albums uh, OBGYN Kenobi, so. Gotta love uh, sophomoric humor. Well, here's, here's the thing. Here's a very, very interesting point. I, I think that this movie brings up in at least my head right now when you say that especially is that I never had that moment where other people got to have especially in theaters where you find out oh shit Darth Vader is his dad I never had that because that was always such part of the pop culture world that by the time I watched Star Wars the first one I already knew that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, mean, I, I guess I'd say on the same page with you there because uh, my friend Joel and I, you know, got into Star Wars through our friend Mike, which was probably around the time the Power of the Force Kenner series, you know, started hitting the shelves. And, like, you know, Kenner was trying to revive that. And that was a couple of years before, you know, even the Shadows of the Empire stuff released and then even the special editions released. So you start seeing all this stuff come together and all these big projects coming out. And um, our friend Mike that lived right up the street from Joel, like, showed us those movies. And so, you know, we watched his old VHS copies just regular through. And, you know, we'd seen them, and you know. But Mike kind of told us everything about it. You know, he explained it all, you know, spoiled it, right? You know, because we were kids. And you don't think to not say that and spoil it, right? You know, you're like, what? Right. So you just knew that, right? And like you said, it was in the zeitgeist. Everyone know that that's 
the big thing in there, right? I'd seen Spaceball a million times, right? So right. they they joke about that in there, right? What does that make us? Absolutely nothing. Well, you know, so you kind of figure out where that's from. Okay. So, yeah. So everyone that got to experience that when that was released in 1980 in theaters, that's fucking I'm rad. Jealous. Yeah, that's rad because that had to be like, you know, like us walking out of Infinity War, like with that level of fucking hype and like, holy fucking shit. You know, I mean, imagine walking out of that saying, oh, my God, what the fuck just happened? But then you right. remember that, Luke, like, Luke's Luke kiss got his Leia fucking hand cut off and fucking Hans and Carbonite. What the fuck is happening? Absolutely. So, nope, definitely enjoyed that one. Anyway, I think that's all we have for this week. Uh, you know, next week, like I said, we're going to have that Mortal Kombat special. Uh, Nathan's going to be on. Uh, the following week, we will pick it back up with episode 8. And then the following week after that, I believe, we'll have another guest. Tony Ontiveros, and we'll be talking about... Ghostbusters. Uh, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters Day is that day that we'll be recording, so we'll probably try to get it up that day if we can. Uh, we'll see what we can do, but... If not, it may be a that's day. That's what we got coming up. Like Alex said, we got some special guests coming up, Nathan and then Tony. So definitely love to see some more social media interaction with everybody. Let us know what you're thinking, what you like. We got some more videos coming of us opening the mail, seeing what's out there. I got a bunch of cosplay projects in the works right now, so I'll probably start posting some videos or talking about those at some point in time. And might go live on Facebook and do a little unboxing put together of the Playmobil Back to the Future DeLorean because I picked one of those up recently so go wild and crazy do stupid shit and don't blame it on us because you're an adult and you should make your own decisions and we'll talk to you (laughs) next week Gadget Uh, that's Frank Walker, isn't it? It is. <laughs> nice. Good night! And have a pleasant tomorrow! Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, bye, Mark. <laughs> what a funny story, Mark. These are my dinner guests. The Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers, Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. The Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers, Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. Frog Brothers.